Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. You've picked a good day to join us. God wants to do something new in you today. And since we grow best in community, we get the privilege of being a part of what that new thing is, whatever it is. God is always good. So even though none of us might know what that new thing is, we can trust that His perfect work will make you more like Jesus. And since that's what we're all about, let's count today in the win column of your spiritual journey. And mine. Speaking of which, I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because that team loves to encourage and challenge people just like you to trust Jesus with more of your life. More today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. We're a church of good old regular people, people trying to clean up their messy lives one step in the right direction at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to be in process, figuring it out. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on, this is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, I think I was about nine years old. My biological dad and I were walking down the main street in the booming metropolis of Prairie City, uh, population at the time of about 1,200 people. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if dad was just in a hurry or if I was just meandering slowly behind him, but he, he turned back to me and he said, Chris, when voids walk, the world turns under their feet. It was his way of telling me to move at the speed of Voigt, walk with purpose, using the balls of your feet to make the world turn under you. Message received. Now, my slow walk is faster than some people's jog. I feel like I'm walking backwards when Didi and I walk together. At dinner, my grandma Carol always used to tell me, the only rule we have at dinner is always keep one foot on the floor. Which makes sense. She did raise five rowdy boys after all. For years, grandpa would just kind of fill his plate as he sat down and before the rest of us had even started, he was done eating and pacing the floor again. He just kind of swooped in like a bird of prey. Message received. I'm usually done eating dinner by the time Dee Dee has salted and peppered hers. <laughs> year after year, as I grew up, the Voigt family taught lesson after lesson of what it means to be a Voigt. Voigts are self-reliant. They don't need anyone else. 
Voights are smarter than most people. Uh, have more common sense than most people. Don't put up with other people's nonsense. Voights work hard. Don't trust the government to do what they can do themselves. Buy American-made products. Voights stand up for themselves and are fiercely loyal to those they love. That's what it means to be a Voight. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's who we are. And with few exceptions, this flows through from my grandparents, who will be married 75 years in January, to their five sons, to their 50-plus grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchild. And almost without exception, they are professionals and business owners who are doing extremely well because they run their businesses with excellence and integrity. They are property owners. One aunt and uncle even own an entire town. They are property owners who on their laziest of days do more work than most of us do on our most productive days. They are people who make a positive contribution in their community and aren't afraid to stand up for truth in the American way when they see it being subverted by nonsense. For the record, since my parents were divorced, I only spent a couple of weeks a year with the Voights. Not all of this rubbed off on me. <laughs> Definitely some of the good stuff, the speed of life, the work ethic, but I've been able to pick and choose what parts of the Voight ethos that I adopted as my own. Being a Voight is only part of my identity. I wasn't immersed in it like the other Voights. Which is probably why I'm described as the black sheep of the family. Group identity is not a common term for most Christ followers. In fact, as individuals, we tend to think of our identities more independently. But group identity plays a crucial and mostly overlooked role in character transformation. In fact, it is, all, it is group identity that forms our character, and it is one of the big holes in spiritual formation. Welcome to week four in our series, Wired, Brain Science and Spiritual Growth. Uh, most of us here in the room and watching online are on a journey to align our character with the character of Jesus. We have said yes to Jesus and have committed ourselves to believing like, thinking like, and acting like Jesus. We have committed ourselves to loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, body, and mind as we love others. And that's what God will use to transform our character. Love. But when we take a step back and do an honest evaluation, we find inconsistent results. We want to have a vibrant, life-giving, soul-filling relationship with Jesus. We want to feel deeply connected to his presence in our lives. We want to let joy and gratitude lead the way in our lives. We want, to be, uh, we want our spiritual lives to be, as described by the psalmist, like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. That's what we want. But again, if we're honest with ourselves, that doesn't really describe our Christian experience. For some of us, it feels more like a tree planted in the desert, just struggling to survive. Others might experience short seasons of fruit, but there are few and far between the long seasons of no fruit. 
Using one of the metaphors of Jesus, we've been learning that our soil is depleted. It isn't good soil that will bear a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times what is planted, but something less than that. And any soil that is less than the good soil Jesus describes gives inconsistent results. As it turns out, most of us have been going about this the wrong way. Uh, the advances in neuroscience or brain science over the past couple of decades have deepened our understanding of how the brain operates, how it processes information, and how it works to transform our character. Turns out that everything that enters the brain enters on the back right side. From there, it processes to the front right side before crossing over to the left front side and then back to the back left side. Everything takes this path. Now, here's what makes that so significant for our purposes. The left side of the brain is where our conscious thought resides. It's where we are aware of what's happening around us. It processes all of that information at five times per second, which is stupid fast. But it's still slower than the right side, which processes more powerfully and faster at six times per second and processes more powerfully and faster before whatever it's processing even gets to the left side. The right side is the home of pre-conscious thought. We often know things before we can put words to them, which also means that before the left side even begins to process, it's operating in the past. It isn't present in the presence. But life happens in the present. The present is where we need to be like Jesus, to respond like Jesus, to love like Jesus. Think of your immediate response when you hit your thumb with a hammer. When that immediate instinctive response is like Jesus, we'll know that, we're, uh, that our character is aligning with Jesus. By the time your left brain has time to process and respond to the state of your thumb, you've already acted like Jesus, or not. So character formation is the journey of embedding the character of Jesus into our right brain. Now the good news is, as science has proven, is that God has wired, hardwired our brain this way. Character formation is a right brain-driven process. All of our relationships with Jesus and everyone else, all of our emotions, including uh, the, the life and character transforming emotion of love, are managed by the right brain. So we are hardwired for this process. The bad news is that until now we haven't really understood how character formation happens. We thought it was a left brain process. So most of the activities we've de designed for spiritual development are left brain focused. Reading the Bible is a left brain conscious practice. So, so is praying and fasting and just about everything else we try to do to become like Jesus. 
You see, we thought that more information about God, more information about Jesus, more information about love was enough to bring about character formation. We thought that knowledge was power enough. And it's not. Think about it this way. Close your eyes for just a second and picture the scene, the last time you sinned. Doesn't matter if it was a big sin or a small sin, just fix it in your mind. Okay, now open your eyes. Here's my question for you. Did you know better? Did you sin knowing that whatever you were doing was sin? Of course you did. You aren't creative enough to make up sins that nobody's ever heard of, including God. So of course you knew it was sin. You had the left brain information, but that information didn't change the outcome. You still acted in a way that was contrary to the character of Jesus, and you knew it. A left brain approach to character formation never works. It might work for some people sometimes, but it doesn't work for all people even some of the time. The results are inconsistent at best. All of those left brain spiritual activities are incredibly important to character formation. The Bible especially is crucial to character formation. But you can't push those truths into the right side from the left side. You have to embed left brain truth into the right side from the right side. Because the right side of the brain drives character formation. So the good news is that we are hardwired for the way character formation actually works. The bad news is that we've been going about it the wrong way. The other good news is that we can change how we approach spiritual formation by cultivating four nutrients into our spiritual soil. Four nutrients that give us good soil for harvesting oodles of great Jesus character in our lives. The first nutrient is joy. Joy is the gateway to spiritual growth. Real joy is communicated primarily by the face. When you see someone's eyes light up, when they see you, communicating that they are happy to see you, a joy chain reaction begins in your brain that you feel in your entire body. That joy chain reaction physically and emotionally opens the door to spiritual growth in your brain and body. The second nutrient is hesed. An Old Testament word that communicates deep, life-giving relationships with God and others. It is built when we do life together. Think of the first century church. Acts 2.42 tells us that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted to hesedding together in deep community and experiencing great growth as a result. Their lives were oriented around their Christian relationships. They prioritized community. Now that's just a synopsis of what we've covered so far. Please go back and watch the other messages if you've missed them or watch them again to help them embed into your long-term memory. 
this is too important to just let it slide by. If you've ever been stuck, this will help you unstick. If you feel like you've reached a spiritual plateau, this will kick you off the edge into more growth. If you have been following Christ long enough that you know what your spiritual journey should look like, but you just can't seem to get there, you still need external accountability for consistency on your journey, this is why. So joy has said community and the third nutrient for healthy soil comes out of that community. It is a group identity. Over the centuries, the church has used creeds to communicate what we as followers of Christ believe. You might have heard of the Apostles' Creed. It isn't named the Apostles' Creed because it came from them, but because it is based on the Apostles' teachings. This became a part of the church, of church history somewhere between 150 to 300 A.D., in our faith tradition, we are more likely to sing our creeds in worship than to say them. Today, let's do something a little different. If you are here in the room, will you stand right now? Just stand right up. Much like the early church would have, let's recite the Apostles' Creed out loud together. It begins with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, now please be seated. As you can see, creeds answer the question, as followers of Jesus, what do we believe? And there is a whole lot of theology embedded in those simple statements we just recited together. Now, we've based this series on the book, The Other Half of Church by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. They tell us that group identity statements are similar to creeds. But where creeds answer the question, what do we believe, group identity statements define character. They answer the question, as followers of Jesus, what kind of people are we? How do the people of God act? In our Western culture, identity is thought of individually. But in other cultures, identity is defined by group values, kind of like the values of what it means to be a void. Science tells us that from birth through childhood, the brain is designed to develop 
individual identity through the child's attachments to his or her parents and other caregivers. But around the age of 12, that changes. The brain changes. It undergoes a structural change that balances individual identity with group identity. Then, from that point on, group identity is a key player in character formation. As we learned last week, we are formed by our strongest attachments. This week, we add the third nutrient of a shared identity of that attachment group into the mix. Now, let's see how all of this plays out with Jesus. Jesus came to establish a different kind of kingdom than the world had ever known. He came to bring God's kingdom to earth and invited us to become citizens of this new kingdom. The moment we say yes to following Jesus, our citizenship in humanity's kingdom as we know it is trumped by our citizenship in God's kingdom. And we begin the journey of living according to the values of this new kingdom. Uh, years after Jesus, the, the apostle Peter wrote, but you are not like that. That is those who have rejected Jesus. You are not like the world. You are not like them for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. We have a new group identity. We are chosen. We are royal. We are holy. We are God's special possession. And the process of our character formation helps us step into our new identity. And we take our cues from Jesus. He gave us example after example uh, answering the questions, what kind of people are we? And how do we act as citizens of heaven? currently living as ambassadors to earth. Have you ever decided to read through the Bible cover to cover? A Genesis is a pretty interesting read, but about halfway through Exodus, things start to get a little weird. The story has become less about the journey of the Hebrew people to the promised land and more about the laws, regulations, sacrifices, and celebrations that God was commanding them to follow and observe. And after Exodus comes the book of Leviticus, which is basically an instruction manual, a how-to guide for daily Hebrew life. But here's the deal. After more than 400 years of captivity in Egypt, the Israelites had been conformed to the pagan culture of Egypt. They had become like the people around them. Now, having been delivered from sla slavery by the hands of the living God, he was redefining who they were to be and how they were to live as his people. He was giving them a new group identity, one that was very different from the cultures around them. This group identity has bound them together for thousands of years. 
When Jesus came on the scene, he introduced a new group identity, a better group identity. Here's just a summary from Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. You can look this up on your own later. We find it in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But let me summarize it this way. We are a people who take God's commands seriously. We are a people who reconcile as quickly as possible. We are careful to obey God in our sexuality, even with glances and thoughts. We remain faithful to our spouses. We keep our word and have no need to make oaths. We are a people who love our enemies and pray for them. We seek to be rewarded by God instead of by people. And we forgive others because we have been forgiven so much by our faith. Now that isn't a complete list from this passage, but notice how Jesus unpacks what kind of people we are and how we live. How we act when we are angry, how we respond to financial stress, how we treat others. Jesus is helping us understand just what kind of people we are. This is how citizens of heaven act. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 8, he says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. In fact, Ephesians 5 is jam-packed with more identity statements for those living in the light. Again, here's just a summary. We are a people who walk in love, just like Christ, because it is a sweet perfume to God. We are careful with our sexuality and money because they easily corrupt us. We are a people who are careful with our words and jokes. We diligently find out what pleases God. We avoid and expose the works of darkness. We use our time carefully here on earth, making the most of every opportunity. We are a people who do not get drunk, but are filled with the Spirit. We sing to each other and make up songs that connect us to God and to each other. And we always give thanks to God for everything. To the Colossian church, Paul wrote this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, that's our new group identity, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, which is another way of saying that we must clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that's how we, the holy people he loves, act. And when we stop clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, we have forgotten who we are. We have identity amnesia. What's really interesting is that science shows us that our brains were designed to respond to group identity to help us act like our people. The right brain houses the control center that interprets our group identity and uses it to shape our inner character. The orbital prefrontal cortex, which is located on the right side of the brain behind your eye, takes the lead in integrating your current situation in life 
with who you are in real time. Every one-sixth of one second, our brain tries to answer the questions, who am I and how do my people act now? You're walking down the aisle at the grocery store and you see that old boss who treated you unfairly. How do my people act now? Your son is getting to the age where you know you should probably talk to him about S-E-X. How do my people act now? You get pulled over by a policeman for speeding as he walks to your door. How do my people act now? You're at a basketball game watching your daughter play and the ref has been making really bad calls that are costing her team the game. How do my people act now? You just got a promotion and a raise and are trying to balance the expectations of work with the responsibilities of home. How do my people act now? You just got grim news, a grim diagnosis from your doctor. How do my people act now? If your control center is functioning properly, my circumstances get integrated into my group identity and I instinctively act with joy and peace. But if my control center isn't functioning properly, if it desynchronizes, I forget who I am and how to connect with those around me. I stop acting like myself. As a Christ follower, I stop acting like one. It's like I have a brain cramp. Apart from high joy, has said community with a strong group identity, I do not know how to change my behavior. Because this integration and synchronization happens faster than conscious thought. It's more of a reflex reaction. Willpower isn't strong enough to prevent me from acting in non-Christian ways. Just trying harder doesn't work. For example, let's say I lash out at you in anger. That's my reflex reaction, to lash out. Trying harder to not lash out won't work next time. That's a conscious, left-brained decision. But the lash out happens in the right brain before you can process the situation rationally in the left brain. In order to stop lashing out, I have to figure out how to change my instantaneous reflex reaction. Willpower won't work. Jim and Michael define character as our embedded automatic response to our relational environment. Our instantaneous behavior that flows naturally from our heart. As we've been talking about, it is our gut response, which we want always to be aligned with the character of Jesus. Our willpower is too far away on the left side to be of any good in the moment. It can help us clean up the mess. It helps us apologize and reconcile the relationship. It helps us create strategies to change our instantaneous response in future incidents. So while it can influence our gut response indirectly, direct willpower has very little influence over our character. But what direct willpower cannot do, group identity can. Because group identity operates in the right side of the brain. It can actually be used to train our brains, to train our faster-than-thought conscious responses. If character is revealed by how we act instinctively to our relational surroundings, then 
as our group identity sinks into our hearts and we learn the techniques for correction that we'll cover next week, we will start exhibiting transformed character spontaneously. Our people with whom we share joy, said, and belonging are used by God to train the prefrontal cortex of our right brain. When we try to use willpower, that beautiful list describing what kind of people we are that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount just becomes a list of rules we must follow. And when we fail and break the rules, we just try harder next time. We also call this legalism, which never works. If it worked, God wouldn't have needed to send Jesus. In fact, willpower only leads us to shallow or toxic group identities, even with the best of intentions. Now, hopefully you've pieced together the idea that for group identity to effectively make us more like Jesus, it needs to be a strong and healthy group identity. We can have all of the joy and has said we want, but without a strong, healthy group identity, what are we really working toward? Where, where are we aiming? Here at Dayspring, we are building our group identity around the character of Jesus. We want that group identity to be so integral to the kind of people we are that it just oozes from our pores. We're still working at putting some good strong handles around our group identity, and we're moving in the right direction. People grow here is our first handle. It's, it's the, one, the first handle that we've put on one of our group values. That statement is both an aspiration of what we want to be true and an expectation of what it means to call yourself a dayspringer. Our people grow emotionally and spiritually. If you don't want to grow, this isn't the place for you. So if we follow the pattern we saw earlier, I would say it like this. We are a people actively focused on becoming like Jesus in every way as we deepen our spiritual roots in order to help us withstand the inevitable storms of life. This is summed up in the phrase, people grow here. We are a people who receive every person as they present themselves to us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, with extravagant grace, while in truth, loving them into alignment with the character of Jesus, with the character and identity of Jesus. There are no perfect people. None of us have arrived. We all experience brokenness. We aren't the kind of people who judge others for their brokenness, nor will we ever use truth to beat you over the head into submission. But because it is love that transforms in truth, we will love you toward alignment with Jesus. We are a people who live and worship in unity. We believe that it is through the unity of a diverse group of people who are moving together toward the same target, living for the glory of Jesus, that the world will know Jesus. So we choose to let love lead the way instead of our preferences when it comes to non-essential theology. We have a zero tolerance policy for division. As we learned last month, we are a people who use our words to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We choose our words wisely as we encourage and speak life into others in every situation. In real time, we seek to minimize gaps between us and always move toward relationship. If we add some of what we've learned in this series, we are a people who give real joy away as we seek to grow and help others grow 
We understand that real joy in our relationship with Jesus and others frees us to become the men and women God desires with security and passion. We are a people who actively seek to develop deep life-giving community. Has said with brothers and sisters in Christ because we understand that character transformation occurs in joy-filled Hesed community. So we don't wait for others to come to us. We go to them, inviting them into deeper relationship. Now this is just a sampling of what our group identity is here at Dayspring. To say that we are building our group identity around the character of Jesus means that we embrace the group identity taught directly by Jesus and indirectly through the apostles. And what I've added here today isn't new revelation, just the nuance of our group's expression of the identity of Jesus. And these are more than words. We really do live out our group identity, certainly imperfectly but more and more authentically as we become more like Jesus. Healthy group identity glows. The kind of light Paul talked about in Ephesians glows. As Jim and Michael say, a healthy identity reveals the beautiful colors of the kingdom of God. We want to shine like stars in the universe for the glory of God. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do over the next week or so. Find a quiet moment so you can still your soul. And then think through your life. Think, think through your routine. Does your routine express the values of our group identity? For example, are you stuck spiritually? How long have you been stuck? Getting stuck isn't the problem. Staying stuck is. Because people grow here. So what do you need to do to align your life to our group identity? Think about your hesed. Are you in hesed relationships in Christian community? I don't mean do you have Christian friends. You can have Christian friends and still not have hesed. Our heseders often know us better than we know ourselves. That's how deep the relationship grows. Hesed spurs you toward alignment with Jesus. It invests in you as you invest in others. If our group identity includes joy-filled Hesed relationships, then what do you need to do to align your life? Or help someone else align theirs? Of course, consider your, your life through the lens of Jesus and Paul's group identity statements. Again, what do you need to do to align? If you're willing to be honest with yourself, God will lead you. I'm not asking you to work on everything right now. Just turn it up a degree. Let your passion burn just a degree hotter as you seek to align. And don't be afraid to ask for help. You are designed to grow with your people we are on a journey together. There is never shame in asking for help. That's what our people do when they need help. Next week, we'll explore the fourth nutrient. How to help someone who has gotten a brain cramp and forgotten who they are. Let's pray.
I, I, I'm just in awe, Father, of the psalmist's words that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You can't talk about the brain and not walk away with an understanding that, that you have done some incredible work in designing the human brain. Father, teach us to use the correct sides of our brains to, to make us more like Jesus. Help us learn how to embed the truth of God's word from the left side to the right side. Help us learn how to instinctively act like the people of God act. For the glory of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And before I sign off, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. I am so encouraged when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus.